Hey guys, it's Ellie. Welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. If you've never been here before, let me lay it down for you. So essentially, I have this book called Minute Mysteries, and would you know, it has Minute Mysteries in it. And if you know what Minute Mysteries are, they're basically little logic puzzles and scenarios that test your deductive skills, and it's a lot of fun. And they're, they're fun to solve. Every episode, I read three of them, and after reading each one, I try my darndest to figure out a solution. I try to come up with ideas or find a final solution, and if I either have a solution or I run out of ideas, then we read the solution together, and we cry. <laughs> because, whew, we are not so good at these sometimes. But anyways, yeah, that's basically what it is. I'm just gonna read these logic puzzles and try and solve them with you guys. And you guys can play along, I guess. <laughs> So, sad news guys, if you listened last week to my Minute Mysteries episode, you know the bad news. I got zero out of three right. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I literally don't think I've gotten zero out of three right on any of the episodes up to this point. I feel so stupid. <laughs> Maybe we'll be able to redeem ourselves this episode. Basically, the only way we can go is up, unless we get zero out of three again, which would be even more sad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see how we do. So, with no more waffle, let's jump right in. Murder at the lake. Here's all we've been able to learn, Professor. I wish you'd see what you can make of it, said Sheriff Darrow. Garden's cottage fronts the lake at a point about halfway between the head and foot of its mile length. A strong east wind off the lake that morning caused him and his two guests to abandon their proposed fishing trip. Garden remained behind, while Rice and Johnson set off hiking in opposite directions. Rice said that fifteen minutes later, as he was retrieving his hat which had blown into the lake, he heard a shot and hurried to the cottage. There he found Johnston with blood on his hands bending over Garden, who had been shot through the heart. Johnston said he had gone only about 200 yards when he heard the shot and rushed back. He claims he got the blood on his hands when ascertaining if Garden were alive. He also admits moving some furniture, although cautioned against it by Rice. Fortunately for Rice, we found his hat still wet, but discovered he had changed his shirt before the arrival of the police. He had also gone through Garden's desk, but said he removed nothing. Both men entered through the back door, though the front entrance was more convenient. We haven't found a gun or any other weapon, and we haven't been able to establish a motive yet, concluded Darrow. What do you make of it? It's a bit muddled, Sheriff, replied Fortney, but I would question blank further. Of whom was he definitely suspicious, and why? Ooh, okay. Basically all we have is a Sheriff's report, and whew, that was full of information, so I think what we should do is we should summarize. Basically go through what we just read, kind of put our thoughts in order, and see what we can think up. So, there's this group of three people. Garden, Rice, and Johnson. They sound like the code names for spies. So, we start the report by hearing about Garden's cottage, which apparently the three were staying at. And it was on the lakefront, about halfway between the head and the foot of the lake. It was like on the middle of the coast of the lake, essentially. <laughs> so, the three, Garden, Rice, and Johnson, had planned to go on a fishing trip. However, an east wind that appeared that morning caused them to abandon their idea. So Garden decided to stay behind while Rice and Johnson set off hiking in opposite directions. Rice says that 15 minutes later, as he was retrieving his hat which had blown into the lake, which, I don't know if that's an important detail, but you can never blow anything off in these logic puzzles, Everything is important. <laughs> he heard a shot and hurried over to the cottage. And once he got to the cottage, he saw Johnson, who was the other guy, and Garden, both there. 
Garden was dead, and Johnson was leaning over him with blood all over his hands. That is not suspicious at all. <laughs> oh boy, okay. So according to Johnson, so Rice said that it was 15 minutes later and then he heard the shot and he went back to the cottage and saw what he saw. But Johnson said that he'd only gone about 200 yards and then he heard the shot and rushed back. So that's a little bit interesting how Rice said it had been 15 minutes, but Johnson said he'd only been 200 yards. So that's pretty interesting, unless Rice just walks ridiculously slowly, which is always possible. <laughs> so according to Johnson, he got the blood on his hands while checking to see if Garden was alive. So, Rice's story checks out because, remember I mentioned before, Rice was retrieving his hat, which had fallen into the lake. According to the police, they had found Rice's hat was still wet when they got onto the scene. So, that, I mean, kind of checks out. Obviously, that could be faked, but, you know, it, it, it does back him up to a degree. Also, Rice had changed his shirt before the police had come, which, again, we don't know if it's important or not. I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> So Rice apparently had also gone through Gardens' desk, but said he didn't take anything out, which also could be important. I don't know. I'm just kind of mentioning every detail here because I don't know, man. <laughs> also, according to the police report, both Johnson and Rice went through the back door of the cottage rather than the front door, even though, according to the police, the front door would have been more convenient. So I don't know who that throws suspicion on, but I just think it's a weird detail that they added. Also, the police weren't able to find a weapon on the scene of the crime. They haven't found a gun or anything else. And they don't know about any motive. So, yeah, <laughs> that's basically the story. So, basically for a TLDR, there was three people. One was at a cottage, and the other two hiked in opposite directions away from that cottage. This sounds like a math problem. <laughs> so, according to one of them, it had been 15 minutes he'd been walking, and then he heard a gunshot... And he rushed back to the cottage and saw the other guy who'd walked in the other direction leaning over Gardens, who'd been sitting in the cottage, with blood on his hands. And that's the story. According to the other one, who had the blood on his hands, he walked about 200 yards and then he heard the gunshot. And then he ran back to the cottage and his hands got bloody by checking to see if Gardens was alive. So yeah, basically, you have two suspects and, you know, they both have two different stories. So we just need to figure out which story is more flimsy, essentially. <laughs> So one thing I find interesting, this may or may not actually relate to the solution at all, but they don't know where the weapon is. Garden had been shot, like according to this report, Garden had been shot through the heart, and yet they still don't know where the weapon is. So I don't know, actually, hmm. So my thinking is that it could have been Rice, because although he does technically have more evidence backing him up, aka the wet hat from it having fallen into the lake, he could have easily gotten his hat wet before the police came to back his story up. And also, what's with him, like, changing his shirt also before the police came? Like, what did that matter? Did he get blood on his shirt, maybe? Ooh, maybe he got blood on his shirt. Ooh, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> so my thinking is that Rice was the killer, because according to Rice, again... So I mentioned before, remember, how their, their two timelines may or may not match up? Because Rice said he heard the gunshot 15 minutes after he left, and Johnson said he heard the gunshot 200 yards after he left, which, how long does it take to walk 200 yards? Like, that isn't a super short distance, but that isn't, like, a 15 minutes difference, right? Like, seriously. So, there is a difference there, so that doesn't necessarily throw suspicion on either one of them, but it definitely doesn't help Rice's story. So, yeah, actually, I think I'm gonna go with Rice, because remember how I mentioned that before the police came, Rice had a wet hat and a new shirt? So, my theory is that he had blood on his shirt, so he had to change it, and in order to back up his alibi, he got his hat wet, 
And in the process of getting the hat wet in the lake, he also chucked the gun into the lake or something along those lines. Anyways, it's really flimsy, but mm, you know what? I'll go with it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's read the solution and find out if my weird theory was right. A strong east wind blew off the lake. Therefore, regardless of the direction in which he was walking, Rice's hat could not possibly have blown into the lake. The professor was naturally suspicious of him when he told such a ridiculous lie. Okay, okay, okay. So I was right about the person who was suspicious. It was Rice. And it did have to do with his hat being wet, but I didn't get the wind thing, so I won't give myself any points. <laughs> but you know what? I'll give myself a pat on the back. I got the right guy, at least. <laughs> but for the wrong reasons, so maybe that's not so good. Anyways, uh, yeah, let's move on to the next one, shall we? The professor studies a coat. They covered us with a gun, and when the cashier tried to give an alarm, they shot him. Then they handcuffed me, grabbed five stacks of bills, and beat it. Calm yourself, ordered Fortney, and tell me who they are. Two fellows who robbed the bank just now, explained the excited narrator, who had rushed into Fortney's cottage at Lakeview. I knew you were vacationing in the village, so as soon as they escaped in their car, I ran over here. Didn't you call a doctor for the cashier? Too late. He must have died instantly. How do you know the bandits escaped in a car? I saw them from the window. Were you and the cashier alone at the time of the shooting? Yes, I had just made a deposit. I guess they got my money, too. Fordney walked over and picked up the overcoat his visitor had removed upon entering the living room. You seem to have had a little accident. How did you get this? He asked, examining a long tear in the front of the coat. Why, I guess I tore it on the door when I rushed out the front of the bank. I broke a button, too, you'll notice. Let's see your hat, demanded Fortney, eyeing his visitor sharply. Why, where is it? I must have left it in the bank. Well, let's go. The police will be interested in your story, and bring that coat with you. Why did Fortney suspect this man of complicity in the holdup? Mmm, we always love a fake holdup story. <laughs> So this is a pretty basic holdup story. According to this guy, who had apparently been a patron of the bank, the robbers had covered the cashier and him with a gun, and the cashier tried to give an alarm, and so they shot him. And then they handcuffed the patron, who's telling Fortney all this, grabbed five stacks of bills, and got out in a car. And then, as soon as they got out of the car, the patron ran over to Fortney's cottage at Lakeview, where apparently he was vacationing, because he can never get a break, and he told him all about it. And then Fortney asked the guy about his jacket, <laughs> and how it has a big tear in it, and how it's missing a button, and also how his hat isn't on him. Which, I mean, I guess I can understand it, because according to his story, he did, like, rush out of the bank as fast as he could, but, like, why did he have his overcoat on when he was in the bank? Like, it, it specifically mentions, here, I'll quote it, Fordney walked over and picked up the overcoat his visitor had removed upon entering the living room. So, what I'm thinking here is that this guy ran into Fortney's cottage. He was all freaked out, and he was not in a mental state to think very straight, right? And yet he still instinctively took off his overcoat when he walked into his house. So, I'm just like, I could be misreading this. I could be misinterpreting what this means. But if he instinctively takes his coat off in a home setting, would he also instinctually take his coat off in a public bank? Are those, like, the same thing? Do you keep your coat on when you're in a bank? I don't know. <laughs> This is 1920s, man. I, I don't get, I don't know. But if that is the case, if you would have taken your coat off to be in a bank, just as this guy did to go into a house, he wouldn't have had the coat on in the first place, right? Or at least he wouldn't have had it on when he was going through the door, right? So anyways, 
yeah. <laughs> I think that's gonna be my solution here. So, let's um, read it and find out if I'm right. As the man had removed his overcoat on entering the professor's living room, it was perfectly patent. He had not been handcuffed. He said he ran over to Fortney's immediately after the bandits left. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Okay, okay. So I was right about the overcoat thing, in that there was something wrong with the fact that he was wearing the overcoat, but I did not get the right thing wrong about the overcoat. <laughs> oh gosh. I totally forgot about the handcuffs. The handcuffs! <laughs> oh man, I'm not doing well. If I don't get this last one right, then it will be the second week in a row that I get zero out of three right, and that will be very sad. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, well, let's move on to the third one and hope for the best, I guess. Too late. Perhaps you'd better tell me exactly what happened, said Professor Fordney kindly to the agitated man. Well, continued Palmer, Frank has been despondent and talked of suicide for some time. I thought exercise in the open air would do him good, so I suggested a vacation at my place in the country. We'd been there three days, and he seemed in much better spirits. Then, Thursday morning, after we'd been fishing an hour or so, he said he thought he'd try another stream about a mile away. I was having good luck, so I told him to go ahead and I'd meet him at the cabin later. About eleven o'clock, when I'd caught my limit, I started back. As I neared the cabin, I seemed to have a premonition of trouble and ran the last few yards. When I opened the door, God, I'll never forget it! I'd got there not more than five minutes behind him, and yet there he lay, dead! That hideous look on his face, it haunts me! Why couldn't I have been just a few minutes earlier? A whiskey bottle on the table and the glass which smelled of cyanide told me the story. He'd done it after all! I'll never forgive myself, Palmer concluded with a sob. Have you had any visitors while at the camp? asked Fortney. No, we hadn't seen anyone for two days. Did your friend smoke? Not at all. Was the door open or closed when you arrived? Why, closed. And the windows? Closed too, Professor. If you're innocent, Palmer, why are you lying? demanded Fordney. What was the lie? Hmm. Okay, this is depressing. We don't like suicide here. But it does make for an interesting puzzle. So basically, this guy had a friend, and his friend was really sad. He was, you know, talking about killing himself, and it really sucked. And so this guy named Palmer decided that he wanted to take his friend out into the country to chill out for a little bit and have some, you know, open air. Maybe it would do him some good, right? So they'd been in there for three days, according to him. And on Thursday morning, um, after they'd been fishing for about an hour, his friend said that he'd go to another stream about a mile away. And so he left, and Palmer stayed because he was having good luck at the stream that he was at. So he, you know, told him to go off to his other stream and that he'd meet him at the cabin later. And then about 11 o'clock, probably a.m., I don't think it's p.m., unless they've been, you know, catching fish for 12 hours, <laughs> uh, he caught his limit and then he started walking back to the cabin. And then he got back to the cabin and he opened the door and, uh, yeah, he saw his dead friend and that's just horrible. He saw a bottle of whiskey and he smelled cyanide and, yeah... So let's see, I've been reading through this, and reading through this, and I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna keep looking, but like, as of right now, I'm kind of stumped. You know, I, I don't I don't see any issue with this story, other than that it's really sad. Yeah, I don't know, man. Okay, so, update. Where are the fish? I don't know if this is a solution by any means, but I think it's strange that he doesn't mention how he's holding fish when he gets back to the cabin, because it literally says... 
After I caught my limit at about 11, I went back to the cabin, and then before I got there, I got a little bit of a premonition of trouble, and then I ran the last few yards to the cabin, and I opened the door, and then he saw everything he saw. But it doesn't mention that he was holding any fish or any fishing rods or anything, unless he just left it at the lake, which is, like, bad form, I feel like. I don't know if that is related in any way to the solution. I think it's really flimsy, but again, it could be it, because, like... It doesn't say he dropped anything, it didn't say he was holding anything. Of course, it didn't have to mention that, which is why it's really flimsy. But still, I think it's weird that it didn't mention that he at least dropped the stuff he was holding and ran, instead of just saying that he ran, right? Is that weird? Or am I just weird? I feel like it might be the latter. Anyways. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. I have read this thing like six times. And I've, you know, I literally googled the after effects of cyanide poisoning. And, um... It didn't help because poison control just wanted me to not swallow cherry pits or something. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not exactly very helpful. But, you know what? I tried my hardest. And if I get another zero a week, that's okay. Next week we can do better, right? So anyways, <laughs> with great trepidation, let's read the solution. Fordney doubted Palmer's innocence because of his statement, I got there not more than five minutes behind him. There was, of course, no way he could have determined when Frank had arrived at the cabin. Oh my gosh, I was reading this for so long. I have been so blind. <laughs> this happens every time I get one wrong. Especially one that I was really, really, like, trying to solve. Oh, it was staring me in the face. He should not have known when he got there. I mean, I think in the back of my mind, I kind of assumed, like, oh, it was because of, like, some stages of death thing. Like, oh, he knew it had been recent cyanide poisoning rather than an hour-old cyanide poisoning or something. Like, there's got to be a difference, you know? But yeah, that's kind of what I thought in the back of my mind, so that's why I kind of dismissed that. Uh, okay, wow. Um, another zero week. Love that. Woo! I'm so smart. I promise. I swear I get these right. Sometimes. <laughs> I've been very unlucky and or monkey brain for the past couple weeks, apparently. So, yeah. Um, I apologize. I can't exactly give you a refund of your time. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, and even though I didn't get any of them right, I still really enjoyed reading the puzzles and reading what the solutions are, even though I didn't figure out what the solutions were. But yeah, regardless, I just have a couple of things to say. First of all, thank you so much for listening, as I already said. And also, if you guys ever wanted to get in touch with me in any way, if, whether feedback or commentary or suggestions for what I should read or anything like that, email them to me, classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. It's also in the show notes. So yeah, that's basically it. Have a wonderful day. Like, seriously, go high-five someone. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't need to be a family member or anything. Just go high-five someone. I dare you. Do it. <laughs> so yeah anyways uh i'll see you guys next week and i still don't have a good outro for this segment so goodbye <laughs>